0: Are you on the go and only have a short window to peek at the local headlines? We've got you covered. The KOSU Daily Podcast brings you Oklahoma news every weekday in a condensed and accessible way. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to the KOSU Daily to get the scoop on the latest Oklahoma news. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for this week in Oklahoma politics, along with Republican political consultant Eva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Keisel, joining me over Zoom video conference. Governor Stitt is pushing a plan to allow for sports betting in the state of Oklahoma. The initiative unveiled by the governor's office while Stitt was in Israel includes details on how mobile and in-person sports betting would be taxed as well as who could offer it. The tribal officials say they were never consulted and responses have ranged from curious to outright dismissive. Neva, what are your thoughts on this proposal?
1: Well, I think I think what you described in terms of the reaction is exactly what we're seeing. I mean, even lawmakers were caught off guard. You had legislative leaders saying that they were not uh, uh, brought up to speed about this proposal the governor was going to roll out or any of the specifics. Uh, Certainly didn't sit well with uh, uh, some of the folks, including uh, Senator Bill Coleman, who was the co-author on the House bill that never reached the governor's desk last year because it stalled out in the Senate. Um, and is one that could come back up um, for discussion in the next session. But the long and the short of it is it it appears to be a continuation of a battle between the governor and the tribes. I mean, he uh, he's laid it out that he is uh, that he is uh, absolutely uh, supportive of the idea of sports betting. But now his plan, which uh, he's rolled out, basically um, amounts to it's okay for the tribes to have uh, sports betting in their casinos and facilities. But the uh, the betting that really is the vast majority of sports betting, 95% of all of the revenue nationwide is the statistic normally used for the online share of gaming, uh, sports betting, is actually something that he's going to, in his plan, open the door up for basically anyone that uh, can pay the fee, pay the annual fee, and 20% of the revenue uh, to the state of Oklahoma, they can be in the ball game. So um, I think certainly the tribes, every indication is that that's a non-starter, obviously, with them. I think even this week, when you had the, um, the House Select Committee on State-Tribal Relations where they did uh, basically a four-part interim study that concluded this week, requested by the Speaker of the House, Charles McCall, who attended these meetings, asked questions. You had the uh, tribal leaders of all five major tribes there. You had a number of other uh, folks giving testimony, really kind of laying out the complexity of not only just talking about uh, uh, compacting and all all of the elements to that from the legal side. But looking at this as the backdrop of exclusivity, partial exclusivity, all of these technical legal uh, elements to compacting, I think it throws the door wide open for a wild and woolly time in the legislature trying to determine whether or not they can get votes for a plan and which plan it ultimately will be.
2: Right. Well, Aniva, I'll start with that interim study that you talked about. That's what a... a, a, uh, A conversation meant to achieve some sort of a result actually looks like you have representative representatives of, you know, most of the major tribes that are there. Uh, They have an opportunity to address committee members. They have an opportunity to address House leadership. But you also had some of the nation's leading experts uh, in Indian country law. You had Professor Lindsey Robertson from the University of Oklahoma there, who's you know one of the uh, the leading uh, uh, legal figures and an understanding and writing about and and uh, and, uh, and 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 talking about Indian law in in the United States and its development over the many many years. And he's right here in our backyard, so you, you got him as an expert. You have former federal judge Mike Burridge there talking about this and his extensive experience of dealing with these issues both on the bench and as a private practitioner. Uh, that's how you begin to build consensus. You look at a very complicated issue. You bring in experts, you bring in the stakeholders. You don't walk in with any sort of preconceived notion about how it's going to look at the end. Um, and that's what is really missing from the governor's uh, rollout here. You've got a one-page PDF that was put out. Legislative leaders were surprised by it, caught off guard. Uh, you have the uh, tribal leaders that were caught off guard by it as well. And that seems to be this playbook that we see over and over again, where the governor says that he really wants to see sports betting in Oklahoma. And I don't doubt that he does. I think that he sees it as a, a responsible step forward uh, in both you know, regulating an industry and bringing revenue to the state of Oklahoma that we're currently losing out on. But if you really want to get that done, you have to engage with the stakeholders. You have to bring the experts in the room. And you've got to begin to do that before you issue a press release. Uh, and and when people are caught off guard, they don't feel like they're part of the conversation. I, I really think that if the governor tomorrow were to say, I'm gonna pick up the phone, I'm gonna start calling these folks. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start having these meetings, I'm gonna, you know, lay down my sword a little bit here and and say, All right, well, you know, how how do we make this thing work? I really think that there are receptive parties, both in the legislature and in tribal governments that are willing to have those conversations. No one has said this is a non-starter. No one has said this will never happen over my dead body. You know, that's, you know, none of these things have happened. And so I I really believe that if the governor were to change tack tomorrow, uh, we could probably see sports betting happen this coming legislative session. But if sports betting is just another pawn in the governor's, you know, continued political campaign against tribal sovereignty and, and, uh, you know um you know grinding his axe with tribal governments and their political positions that have been against him uh, over the mess uh, last many years, but they've only really been against him because he's he's picked these fights. you know he's he's drawn these lines uh, that have invited these conflicts. Um, so I, I think that if there were a reset, people would welcome it. but absent that, I think that we're we'll probably seeing a, you know, if we could bet on this, uh, we'll probably see at the end of this legislative session the same thing that we saw at the end of this last one that that uh, adjourned in in May with no sports betting, no movement on tribal compacts, and really just you know kind of limping along with the status quo.
1: You know, it's interesting though. In this instance, there appears to be a little twist, at least from what I've observed and what's come out so far. Um, even on Wednesday, Representative Chad Caldwell issued a press release praising the governor's sports betting plan, talking about all of the positives to it. And um, there was an attachment that basically had this one pager from the governor's office that at the top said sports betting done right in Oklahoma. And that appears to be kind of a campaign theme that they that they are rolling out um, and I thought it was interesting in the one pager the real focus I mean while they talked about the difference between who would have the retail uh, wagering and who would have the mobile wagering what those would be they really keyed in on the the prohibitions on who could wager and I and I thought that was interesting that the governor's plan really uh, they 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 are focusing on the idea that uh, the individual performances of student athletes, or if you want to go on and go beyond that, the coaches, the referees. I mean, you can name them all. Uh, player injuries. I mean, the prop bets at all at the college level. Really focusing on that. If you do sports betting right, that won't be part of the equation. I don't think that's ever been part of the conversation from day one, and yet this seems to be uh, uh, what. Maybe a sellable point. Maybe they've done some polling. Maybe they've uh, uh, focus group this and decided this is a way to uh, w- kind of get a wedge in with some of these uh, uh, lawmakers, particularly Republican lawmakers that they have to have the, the support from. And so I, it will be fascinating to see if this is a beginning of a rollout of a full campaign um, to try to to address the issue of sports betting. Much like years ago, when the when the the idea of casino gambling, uh, casinos, um, and even back to the days of deciding whether Oklahoma would have a lottery. I mean, those were campaigns; they were political campaigns, well-funded opponents and supporters going at it, and ultimately the voters making a decision. In this instance, it still appears to be something that's going to wind up in the lap of lawmakers. And as I always say, when we get to this time of year, looking at a election year on the horizon, twenty twenty-four, uh, the impact of conversations like this in the legislative process take on a different dimension when you're talking about the folks having to go back home and discuss these kind of issues with their with their voters uh in their districts.
2: Aneva, I, I think you're right, but but I'll say that just briefly any bill that doesn't address the underlying issue of the state relations with tribal governments and and the compacts and this this underlying issue of the state having a uh, a compacting relationship with sovereign nations if we don't address those things any bill, even if it has really good policies attached to it, like the ones that you were mentioning, that seem to attract a lot of support from even lawmakers and possibly even the public, walking into a campaign cycle. If you don't under, uh, address the underlying compact issues, even if you pass something, even if the governor signed it, it's going to end up in front of a uh, in front of a judge at some point. And I, I think that if we if we want to see this done and and, and Oklahomans really want to see sports betting, you've got to address those compacting issues up
1: front. Absolutely, because these federally recognized tribes, and we're talking about the U.S. Department of Interior weighing into this proposition as well when these conversations come along about compacting. So um, it it it's a conversation that you're right, Ryan. I mean, I I agree wholeheartedly. The way to move the needle on any of these difficult. Um, issues that there's that there's many sides to is get the stakeholders in a room. I think the interim study was a perfect example. I agree. When you have uh, folks that will come in in a very civil manner, sit down um, in many instances with very differing points of view, but have have an opportunity to reason and at least express express those in a way that people that are trying to But trying to make their own decision on where they stand on on an issue like sports betting will have more information than less.
0: Governor Stitt's former secretary of education says she left because of concerns over Department of Education finances and struggles to get information from state superintendent Ryan Walters. Catherine Curry told the Oklahoma Voice she left the position after just three months
2: because Walters
0: limited her oversight of his agency. Ryan, what do you think of this admission from
2: Curry? Well, I think it's, you know, one more person jumping off the Titanic. How many how many how many lifeboats are left at this point? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the secretary again, like we saw last week with the the resignation of the grants manager, uh Pamela Smith Gordon, who'd said that, you know, she left uh because she wasn't able to have communication contact information from the superintendent himself or from his staff, even uh these are people that are politically aligned uh, in many instances with Ryan Walters. They are politically aligned with Governor Stitt, obviously, because he's made these appointments uh, or he made this appointment of this uh, of uh, of the secretary here. And so, I I don't blame the secretary at all for just saying I, I've got to get out of here because at some point she's right. She said, you know, all of this uh, has to come to me. Yeah, uh, you know, resp- I have responsibility to have fiscal oversight uh, over the State Department of Education. And if you won't tell me what's going on, I don't wanna see, be sitting here holding the bag whenever something does drop. And I can almost assure you, I don't know this, but if we just look at the sheer amount of just negligence and incompetence that we see just you know, coming out uh, of that building every single day, something's gonna drop. And no one wants to be holding the bag. And why would somebody be a fall guy for Superintendent Walters? Uh, 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 Former Secretary Catherine Curry now gets to go back to, you know, a great job in higher education. Uh, I'm sure that she probably would have loved to stay on and serve the people of Oklahoma as Secretary of Education. But, you know, again, this is just more of the same where even the people within the department can't get very simple uh, questions answered because they're stonewalled by the superintendent staff, and maybe that's because they don't even know what's going on. I don't know that anyone at the State Department of Education knows what's going on. Neva?
1: Well, certainly in the instance of the former Education Secretary, um, Catherine Curry, she made the point that she was responsible for approving all expenses that were over $25,000 from the State Department of Education, um, not something to be taken lightly. So she, what she was saying is exactly what you expressed, Ryan, that she simply wanted to know more details. She wanted information. She wanted simple things, a monthly fiscal uh, budget report, the agency's annual budget, uh, things that anyone in a cabinet-level position asking The one of the agencies that they are directly responsible for oversight would not seem unreasonable, I think, in almost anyone's estimation. So the fact that none of that was forthcoming, she talked about the email change. She talked about in detail, again, like we talked about last week with a former employee, that she made repeated efforts to try to communicate directly. With uh, Superintendent Walters, to and had no success uh, in emails, in texts, in phone calls. I mean, it's that's a troubling that's a troubling point to to come out even after the fact, even after she's left that position. And I think it's important in the whole conversation to remember that the governor has not named a replacement yet uh, for Catherine Curry as. As the next education secretary. You know, she came in, in a into a, a role where her predecessor, Ryan Walters, who had been the education cabinet secretary, um it, it was under a cloud with the fact that there was an audit that showed that there was a million dollars misspent by the governor's emergency education relief fund. We talked about it, you know, throughout the months that all of this uh was uh, revealed, and the fact that the governor and uh, Ryan Walters continued to blame the third-party vendor. They were responsible. They were the problem. But coming into a situation and just trying to get on top of it in terms of being able to uh, have the oversight not only not only in the instance of of the oversight just of the state de- the uh, Department of Education, but the Cabinet Secretary of Education actually oversees. I think it's more than forty boards and agencies and commissions that fall under that that particular secretary. So it's a position that has a role and an important role. I would think in any governor's administration and someone needs to be uh, responsibly in that post and being able to do the job that they uh that they have been tasked to do. So Again, you're right, Ryan, more questions than answers. It's an ongoing saga. And I think people um, are going to grow weary of these types of revelations, even after the fact, even after the the, uh, former secretary has left. uh, And and she didn't initiate, it doesn't appear to me, uh, any of these conversations. They were a result of inquiries. Some of this came out uh, even by KOSU and others that uh, had... uh, uh, uh freedom of information request for for information that uh, has has come out in some of these recent stories So I think folks are watching with interest. I think certainly lawmakers as I've said all along that deal with education I mean it, it, nothing is nothing has a more uh dramatic effect in the conversation at the legislature than a topic of education because it is the it is where we spend the vast majority of our dollars. Uh, in the overall state budget. So this is not a conversation that's going to go away. And I think it's one that it it will watch with interest. I think the governor, um, I'm surprised there haven't been more questions of him about where he is in the process of trying to make a selection of a new cabinet secretary for education.
2: And what a tough job that's gonna be now, finding someone to go and take over that role now that Walters has poisoned that well over and over and over again. Who would want to step into that role even even well-meaning well-intentioned oklahomans that have a, a wealth of experience to offer the state as public servants uh they're not going to want to step into that role uh and and rightly so because if you and you you mentioned the open records act request that kosu and others had done to get a lot of this information and, and thank goodness for our 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 partners in journalism out there that that are diligent in working these stories but if you look, there was a, an email from July 11th saying, hey, from from uh, from Secretary Curry saying, I need this information. The superintendent staff said, we'll get to you by the end of the day. They never did. Three days later, she's reaching out again and saying, I need to talk to the superintendent about this. Where's this information? And they said that Ryan Walters would call her. Well, as, a, as an attorney who's done a lot of open records litigation, uh, you know, I immediately look at that and I say, this is a state employee who very very well could be trying to avoid creating a record that would be open for KOSU journalists and other journalists at other media entities around the state because if he picks up the phone and he gives her a phone call that you know that voice phone call doesn't create a record or at least a record unless there's a recording of it somewhere uh, that's going to be discoverable by the media uh, but even that phone call doesn't occur. And she has to reach out multiple times saying, how do I get a hold of you? And then still, you know, crickets, 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 crickets.
1: And you have in this conversation another point, and I, And I thought it was fascinating. Again, uh, you had the spokesman for the for the State Department of Education basically saying that uh, that there had been a lack of internal oversight when uh, superintendent Walters took office and so in in I think the the words were basically that there was no data available hard to hard to imagine but even more so was the comment that that the spokesperson for the department made where uh, he said that the superintendent had hired outside experts to audit the agency but then wouldn't give the name of the firm that had been hired so again now we have another element thrown on the table where there are more questions that are going to be put forward, whether it's by lawmakers or reporters or others, um, you can't throw these things out there and then not substantiate them or back them up with more information when asked about it. And I think this is unfortunate that it's the spiraling down effect of this type of uh, um, interaction uh, at every turn by the State Department of Education. Hopefully, this will change and change sooner rather than later for the betterment and and uh, for all parties concerned in the education of community.
2: A quick reminder to listeners, the uh, the former administration uh, that they said had all of this you know, lack of information. That's why they couldn't turn it over. Remind just a reminder of who the secretary of education was. Then it was Ryan Walters. Mm-hmm. Critics of State Superintendent Ryan Walters are
0: raising concerns about the Department of Education hiring a firm to boost his national profile at taxpayer expense. Records obtained by the Oklahoma Watch show the agency wants the firm to provide print and digital op-eds to national outlets, coordinate national events and appearances, write speeches, and handle some communications. Neva, why would Walters need this?
1: Well, I think, uh, The speculation, obviously, is if someone wants to up their national profile, you hire a firm, that a national media manager, someone who has a track record or a firm that has a track record being able to accomplish just that. In this instance, uh, you have this RFP or this proposal out. Uh, with, with much, uh, with many specifics. Uh, you, you alluded to some of them, Michael, about the fact that, uh, but they talked about, I think it was three op-eds, uh, two speeches, and 10 media bookings, I think, were the 10 media bookings a month that were a, a prerequisite of being able to uh, have this contract. And so you've got someone who has been in office less than a year and is in his, his four-year, first Four year term uh, if he were to uh, choose to run for re election. But here's someone who is spending clearly a lot more time out on the uh, kind of out on the trail that looks more like a campaign trail. Um, People obviously tracking this and looking at how many times he's been on many of these conservative television and radio programs. So you're in the public arena and you are an elected official. So everything you do is going to be subject to scrutiny. Uh, And so I think that in the instance of whether or not they move forward with this, there were no, I thought it was interesting that there were no payment terms uh, itemized in the proposal, which if someone were looking to bid or make a proposal, I would think that would be something that uh, would be a question that would be on the on the front burner. I think the deadline was this week uh, that that it was scheduled to close, uh, according to. Um uh, the OMES records, but we'll see whether they move forward with this or they uh, they rewrite it or do it in some other fashion. Uh, but if you're talking about doing it with taxpayer dollars, then you can expect that there's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of scrutiny, as there should be no matter what administration, no matter what agency, no matter what individual elected or appointed. Um, I think that it 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 would be um, a kind of a, a no-brainer for most folks, regular folks out there, listeners, uh, to think that that's not asking too much uh, to have this kind of information put forward before a decision like this is made.
2: Right. Well, but wait a second, Neva, you're saying the deadline was this week. You mean that you and I can't get our proposal in and we're, we're too late? <laughs> too
1: late. Uh, <laughs> Once uh, again. <laughs> what are we going to do? What
2: are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. You know. In, in, in all seriousness, if if Ryan Walters want somebody to go out there and, you know, peddle him around the national media market. And, uh, you know, there's, I suppose, another word for that. But if they want somebody to go out there and and push him around the national media market and get him all these appearances and write op-eds and all of that, he has a campaign fund. And he could pay for that with his campaign fund all day long. No one's going to have any question over that. It's going to be completely above the board. He's just got to report it to the state ethics commission as an expenditure. But here it is. We he's he's trying. You know this this so-called conservative. Uh, and and I and you know conservatives, real conservatives in the state of Oklahoma, their hair ought to just catch on fire every time this guy tries to say that he's conservative because he's trying to use government to subsidize his own campaign here. And it's not the first time, you know, Matt Langston, who is his chief of staff. And I think also policy advisor, uh, you know, if, well, first if I'm Matt Langston, I'm like, well, why do you need to hire somebody else? That's my job. Are you saying that I'm not doing my job well enough? Um, but Matt Langston, uh, whose only real job seems to you know, be to make Ryan Wal- Walters look competent and, and, uh, reasonable by comparison is also, the campaign manager for ryan walters so he's the chief of staff the policy advisor and the campaign manager now there's nothing inherently illegal about that but it's a very difficult line to walk uh and especially when we're talking about our tax dollars you know that we pay you know whenever i you know send my check into the oklahoma tax commission part of that money uh is going in to pay matt langston's salary well uh part of my money doesn't need to go pay for a national campaign manager and neither does anyone else's. And so it, this is a real affront to Oklahoma taxpayers. It is, you know, um, you know, Ryan Walters, if, if he's anything, he is honest in his narcissism. You know, he, he is just upfront about the fact that he wants to promote himself all day long. I mean, if, if he were uh, you know, if this were a hundred years ago, he'd have a, a wagon full of snake oil behind him, but he was, you know, that's that's his whole gig right now is promoting himself. And he's he's not really ashamed of it. Boy, if this guy just had some humility and shame, uh, then you know maybe he would be a different person here. But he has he has none of that. I think that that makes him you know very similar to this guy that he endorsed last week for president Donald Trump and that you know, nothing that he ever says is going to you know, make him feel bad. In fact, if you ever if he even if he thought that he did something wrong, he can't seem to admit it. Uh, and so. This is, you know, again, I think that this is him just like putting it out there, letting Oklahomans know, like, hey, I'm going to be so brazen as to take your tax dollars and pay for my own self-promotion. I don't know what he thinks he's running for. I suppose if Donald Trump were to uh, become president again, God help us. But if he does, then here's here's Ryan Walters, who may be, you know, some. Position within the the Trump administration, but I really think that he's this is a guy that's trying to make his name so that he can be on the media circuit uh, for the rest of his life and and be on a bunch of uh, cable news shows and and st- and podcasts and stuff like that uh, and try to make some money for himself rather than you know doing you know something that's actually uh, part of his constitutional duties as superintendent of public instruction for the state of Oklahoma.
1: You know, it's interesting talking about this whole communications aspect. It's important to note that that the uh, superintendent has a director of communications, has a deputy director of communications, both state employees, uh, tasked with doing many of these functions ostensibly that we're talking about this this national firm taking on. So I think it I I think with every agency. Uh, If you get this kind of conversation going, you're going to have these kind of questions arise. And I think from the public standpoint, it probably doesn't pass the smell test. So whether they back off or whether they move on, uh, that's, I think, what people now will watch with interest.
0: More than 200 laws took effect on November 1st. The new statutes pl- passed during the spring legislative session include a new alert system for adults who go missing under suspicious circumstances, pay raises for jury duty and maternity leave for state workers. Do any of these new statutes have your attention? Ryan, let's
2: start with you. Yeah, so, you know, there there's a lot of talk about bills that uh that I think, you know, get a lot of attention throughout the year, but there was, you know, one bill that, you know, you know, kind of You know, quietly made its way through the legislature this session. That's House Bill 1445 by Representative Melissa Provenzano out of Tulsa, and that requires schools to post bond information on their website uh, to an election for at least 30 days uh, before an election and for a year after the project is completed. Now, I think that we we already see a lot of school districts that kind of do this stuff, you know, voluntarily, but it is really important, especially as you know, Oklahoma. The voters have to go out and and. And vote on these uh, in these bond elections. Oftentimes they're, you know, on standalone special elections or something like that. And so voters don't have a lot of information about where is this money actually going. And for proponents of these bond issues, this is a, I think, a great way for them to be able to detail how that money will be invested. Uh, and for all of us, you know, being able to see that for up to a year afterwards, where, where that money is actually being expended, you know, what a great accountability tool for the taxpayers of Oklahoma. Neva.
1: Well, I think uh, some of the ones that came out and uh, took effect on November 1st, I thought two of them, and and I, these are ones that folks can understand because they directly impact or affect them. One was the fact that uh, uh, purchasers of uh, vehicles or um, travel trailers or commercial trailers, whatever it happens to be, they're going to get an extra 30 days. Uh, in the time that they are allowed to obtain their registration and title, but 30 days become 60 days, um, and I think a lot of folks uh, that'll be uh, that that'll be a refreshing change and something that uh, they can applaud lawmakers for doing. The other is something that was a long time coming because it's been twenty dollars a day for jury pay for as long as I can remember. I don't know how long uh, how long, but it, it increases now to fifty dollars a day. And I think when you take into account that you have jurors that uh, in it, some instances need childcare; some instances they're in um, in either Tulsa or Oklahoma City downtown and just the parking uh, cost alone, you know, to do their jury duty uh, if over uh, one day or multiple days. So these are these are the kind of bills that make it through the process that don't get a lot of attention, a lot of headlines as they're making their way through. But they are things that when you go back home, if you're a lawmaker and talk to the folks back home at the Rotary or, you know, at church or wherever you happen to be having a discussion, they can understand that. And I think they can appreciate the fact that not everything has to be not everything has to be just a fight. Sometimes you do things just because they make sense and in some instances are long overdue.
2: Well, speaking of motor vehicle tags, one of the other changes is you can now opt for a two year uh, registration mm-hmm. instead of a one-year registration, which is fantastic for folks like me who you know forget, uh, and you know that one year. Now, of course, you know give me two years to forget, and I'm really going to forget it. And OTC is going to have to give me a lot of notices, or I'm going to have to get a hopefully friendly reminder from a from a member of Oklahoma's fine law enforcement community. Uh, but the two-year registration renewal, I think, is a, is a welcome change.
0: A national organization is ranking Oklahoma with the second most conservative legislature in the nation. The Conservative Political Action Committee says our state lawmakers are only behind West Virginia when it comes to conservative values. Neva, what are your thoughts on this rankings?
1: Well, I think uh, it's something that uh, House Speaker Charles McCall has has really paid attention to and been focused on during his 8 years as uh, the speaker trying to trying to make marked improvements in uh, being able to champion conservative principles and have those reflected in in the overall outlook in Oklahoma and i think one of the things he pointed out in his own uh, comments after this uh, uh, ranking came out was the fact that when he became speaker Oklahoma was 16th on the on the scorecard as uh, among most conservative legislatures. and now it's second. And I think uh, in his estimation, and many in serving in the uh, legislature, Republicans in the majority believe that uh, that the things that have occurred on uh, Speaker McCall's watch and throughout the course of uh, uh, his time there, in particular in the House, that there has been a focus on trying to move the needle, do things category by category that made effective change uh, and did it in a way that didn't impact adversely uh, the people of Oklahoma through increased taxes or budget-busting propositions that uh, compounded just the ability to provide and increase core services. So while folks on the other side of the aisle obviously would uh, differ greatly with that assessment. I think for Republicans who understand that um, this conservative political action committee group been around a long time um, and in conservative circles, certainly highly respected, uh, that this ranking does point to the fact that we are making significant progress on many fronts in Oklahoma.
2: All right. Well, you know, and they have been around a long time You go back to, I think, to 1974, Ronald Reagan gave, you know, the the inaugural keynote address. Uh, This ain't Ronald Reagan's CPAC anymore. And I think, you know, Cindy Munson, the Democratic leader in the House, uh, Leader Munson said CPAC is known for peddling conspiracy theories and touting issues that distract us from tackling the challenges that Oklahoma faces. And I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, if if uh, I, I understand that Speaker McCall and others, you know, want to be able to demonstrate that Oklahoma is a conservative state, but frankly, why do we need CPAC to tell us that this is the conservative state? If you look at you know where CPAC is at right now, uh, you know, this is an organization that just even in the last couple of months, you've seen the, the vice chair resign, uh, you've seen resignations from a, a board member, a treasurer. Uh, the chairperson is being, you know, sued for sexual assault by a former campaign worker from the Herschel Walker Senate campaign. Uh, you know, this is a, and and when they, when you look at these resignations, they weren't even necessarily over this accusation of, of sexual assault. I mean, they were over financial mismanagement. You know, they've called for external financial audits within the organization. They've called for legal opinions from within the organization to show that they're actually uh, abiding by their own internal bylaws. Uh, and so you've got this organization that seems to be kind of imploding from within, which often happens when you get an organization that becomes, you know, so big and so lucrative uh, from a financial uh, point of view uh, that you begin to you know, stray away from your mission somewhat. Again, if if Oklahoma wants to, you know, if Oklahoma leaders want to be able to say we're a conservative state, I think that you know they they are more than welcome to do that. But I would I would just suggest that they don't look to CPAC. As the organization that gives them that designation
1: but but in all fairness i mean we expect the loyal opposition uh, cindy munson uh uh, in her role uh as the house democratic leader to uh to to have a different point of view the things that you're outlining within the organization uh, really arguably have nothing to do with an assessment based upon a a rating that has been consistently applied over year in and year out, state by state, in terms of what is taking place legislatively. And so the backdrop of all that you've just described may muck that up and blur it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that that Oklahoma has made important strides under Republican administrations and under Um, a Republican majority in the House and the Senate now for quite some time. And I think voters have uh, have responded to that by continuing to reelect these folks to come back and do the job that they continue to do.
0: Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. Hey there. This is Ginny Mae Harms with KOSU,
2: where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media. Like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind the scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.